I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. What happens at each school committee meeting has significant implications for our students and our city. And this podcast shines a light on the decisions our leaders are making. Good morning, Ross. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Jill, last night's meeting lasted about five and a half hours. And the school committee agenda, you know, I was expecting a lot of conversation and and probably like a seven-hour meeting, but it was only five and a half hours. The agenda originally had five reports on it, but last night, Chair Robinson announced at the beginning of the meeting that the report on equitable grading policy would be pushed to a later meeting due to lack of community engagement. So it's not clear when that equitable grading policy will come back. I should note here, Jill, that this was a conversation at the board retreat. They said, do we really need to be talking about equitable grading? at this time? And the answer was absolutely yes. But last night they postponed it without clarity on when it will come back. Ross, what is equitable grading exactly? So this is an issue just like having a common graduation requirement with Mass Corps. The district does not have a policy that guides grading across every school. So there are different grading policies, different grading philosophies. And I think this idea is that there'll be commonality of grading across a district. Okay. Well, the meeting began with the superintendent's report where she started by sharing choice data. Right, Jill. So what we heard last night is the superintendent said, you know, it's a little early yet to be sharing this data around how many families got one of their first three choices. This is historical. Every year, the district typically releases data on are families getting one of their first three choices in the enrollment process. And we would expect a full report on this certainly before the summer to see how the assignment system is working, which schools are being chosen more heavily than other schools, and so on and so forth. What we heard last night from the superintendent was that about 90% of families who are enrolling in K-1 received their first choice. So that's good. Yeah, it's a lot. It's big. And we also heard for K-0, that's our four-year-old program, that about 40% of those families received one of their first three choices, which is not so good. And then we didn't hear much else around data for school choice, as most of the other grades were still waiting. Right, because there's a number of grades that are impacted by the enrollment into one of the exam schools, right? Yeah, there's still a massive delay. As we talked about previously, a lot of families will not hear until May what their enrollment will be. Jill, we also heard last night from the superintendent on the DESE audit that just concluded in the district. And the superintendent said that we should receive a report or a report should be written by early to mid-May. So that's the first time we heard about a timeline on that decision. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see what the report says. We also heard about safety in schools. And the superintendent noted that She is establishing regular meetings with the Boston Police Department to review and share data with one another. This is something that I thought was happening already and kind of took me by surprise that this is just starting because you would hope that all city departments are sharing information with each other on a regular basis as part of the mayor's cabinet and leadership team. But it is clear that the superintendent is taking safety seriously and really collaborating with the Boston Police Department on safety issues. Based on testimony last night, it sounds like Something needs to be amped up in order for parents and families and kids to feel safer 100% of the time. Right. We did hear from parents last night uh, expressing concern about their student safety in schools yeah. and and it really a call for transparency around what's happening in our schools. Yeah. And Jill, we also heard about masking. 
This came up at the last meeting where there was some discussion around should the mask mandate be lifted in schools or not? And the superintendent was right here, Jill. She said, I'm going to wait and watch what happens here with this new variant and sort of decide on what needs to happen. And she was right. The data has shown that there's about three times the number of cases in Boston than there was at the last meeting. And so therefore, she's going to maintain the mask mandate in schools until that data shows something different. So then the superintendent provided an update on summer programming and learning. Last summer, the superintendent promised that every student would have a plan for summer and would be provided the opportunities to secure a seat in the program of their choosing. That doesn't seem to be the plan this year. Here is Chair Jerry Robinson asking the superintendent about what seems to be a different set of district goals this year. I remember last summer, our goal was that every student would have some type of plan. Is that, does that continue to be the goal for the summer of making sure that students actually do have summer plans? I would love for that to be a goal so that every student had a plan. It is, I know that recently uh, Mr. Harris sent out a notice to all of his school leaders asking them to work with their staff, their family layouts and staff, their social work staff to make sure that the students that need it the most at least would have a plan and that you know, everybody would have the information in which to secure their engagement for the summer. And so it is an aspirational goal to ensure that every single student, you know, is aware of what the summer opportunities are for the summer. This is interesting, Jill. Like the this question last year was superintendent, will every, you know, will every student be guaranteed a, a plan for the summer? And uh, it was an affirmative, absolutely. They, every student will have a plan. We noted this in our in this podcast that yep. the district significantly under delivered. So here we are again with the superintendent not making a promise that every student will have something to do this summer, but she is saying we will have 15,000 seats available for summer school and we'll do as best we can to fill those seats. We'll wait and see, but this is going to be important as we discussed last time. Every meeting, there should be an update on this. How many students have registered? What is our outreach efforts? How do we ensure that we're meeting that goal. Last time around, we heard about the goal and then it was silent until after the summer was over. And we said, oops, uh, we didn't really get to where we want to be. So if you really want to see this happen, you got to inspect it if you expect it. There you go. The meeting continued on to public comment. There were around 40 speakers testifying to the committee, which took up about half of the meeting, highlighting numerous issues impacting the district. Here are a few of the many public comments that we heard last night, starting with BTU President Jessica Tang. I'm here this evening on behalf of our 8,500 in-service educators and in partnership with our families, students, and community allies, as well as 3,000 retired educators, many of whom are serving also as critical substitute teachers during the staffing shortage crisis. We are here with one united message. After two extremely difficult years and now entering our eighth month without a contract, our students, families, and educators deserve the proposals we've set forth in our contract package. We are delivering a petition signed by thousands of BTU educators from across the district. Over 5,500 signatures were added in just a couple of weeks. We are united here this evening to share proposals and ask for weekly bargaining sessions because now, perhaps more than ever, a contract is needed to address a wide range of issues in our district, including special education, multilingual learners, facilities, and common good proposals, including housing for our families facing unaffordable and unstable housing. Many of these issues have been exacerbated by the pandemic. 
We know that the central office is going through transition, staffing shortages, and it has been challenging there in addition to how challenging it has been in our schools. All the more reason we need a contract. Later in the evening, community member Edith Bazil spoke about both the superintendent search and the McKinley schools. The superintendent must have urban, not just Boston experience with a proven track record, of strong language and literacy results for black students, ELs, and students with disabilities. The leader must commit to reforming special education, which is a place of segregation, mistreatment, and miseducation, especially for black students, which the district believes cannot learn. Students with disabilities are often denied appropriate services, supports, interventions, and compensatory services. Parents' concerns are often ignored. BPS needs a student and parent-centered empathic listener committed to tearing down silos of special education, a department which overtly resists hiring highly qualified Black professionals. A leader who understands inclusion is not a privilege. It is a right, just as all citizens have a right to fully participate in society. Madam Chair, there's an influx of ESSER funds. Where's the focus of critical mental health services? For example, McKinley students are Black and Latinx students with disabilities, mental health issues, but are often maligned as troubled and gang involved. The district projects a 2023 expenditure of $103,000 for each McKinley student next year. What do students get for $103,000? No science labs, no gym, no library, no cafeteria, metal detectors, random, random searches, a timeout room with cinder blocks, less than 20% graduation rates, random searches, more than 60% chronic absenteeism. McKinley is not included in BPS My Way Cafe, the Quality Guarantee, High School Redesign, or Mass Core. One third, one third of McKinley students disappeared since 2020. Where's the outrage about these practices rooted in anti-Blackness and ableism? We then heard from numerous parents at the Sumner Elementary School regarding the plan for expanding to sixth grade. Here is one of those parents' comments. I'm sorry that we're advocates and that we're gadflies. We are doing what we think is right for our school and we're not going anywhere. Now, the problem we're having is that on Monday, we were told by our principal, not through any dialogue with the Build BPS team, not from any meeting or correspondence directly with the Build BPS team, but secondhand through our principal, that no longer were we going to be at the community center next door, which was what Mr. Cooter had promised us and committed to at the March 9th meeting. But now we were being told two days after K-1 placement letters went out. Now we were being told that we were gonna be at the Irving, a half mile away from our school. This was such new information that it threw us off our seats. There were also community members from the Hale School, the Horace Mann School for the Deaf, the Mission Hill School, and several other schools highlighting perpetual unresolved issues in their schools. These are not new complaints, but rather it generally seems that the communities are increasingly frustrated by the lack of attention on solutions and communication about timelines for these solutions. These school communities have been testifying, Ross, at school committee for months. Jill, that's right. I was surprised at public comment last night. I wasn't expecting 40 people on the myriad of issues coming out last night, but it was like almost like the floodgates opened last night and said, hey, wait a minute. 
Y'all been talking about budget for a long time. You're talking about superintendent search, but what about our schools? What about all the broken promises we've had? Right. I mean, it honestly felt like someone had had their fingers in, you know, the dike and they pulled them out and everything started to come back. All of these things we've heard about again and again, you know, almost I thought because we weren't hearing about them, they had been resolved. And here they are. So many issues just back on the table. So, so Jill, these issues, I mean, are, will they be resolved in the next few months so that a new superintendent can be strategic and hit the ground running versus being just presented all of the leftover problems and broken promises to these school communities? I don't think they are. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that they are. Like leadership would be right now, the school department should focus on resolving as many things as possible to provide a smooth on-ramp for a new superintendent. And instead, what we heard last night was, here are all the unresolved problems, all the broken promises. What are you going to do for us? The first report of the night heard by the committee was on the updated job description for the superintendent's position, as well as the decision on the search firm that will conduct the search. Ross, can you talk about what was included in the job description, which is very long, and what differentiates it from the last description that was used to hire Superintendent Casilius. Yes, Jill. So member Miss Lorena LaPera, who is also a co-chair of the superintendent search committee, provided an update on the job description and described some of the key attributes that are desired in a new superintendent. I'm, let me just sort of go through some of these key attributes and I'll explain similarities and differences. The key attributes are they want a superintendent who is advancing equity closing and eliminating opportunity and achievement gaps, meeting the needs of multilingual learners and students with disabilities, having a proven track record for achieving strong outcomes for all students, a focus on family and community engagement with transparent communication, an idea of how to recover from COVID-19 pandemic, as well as having reliable and physically sound transportation services and facilities, ensuring that there is quality staff members, staff diversity, safe and welcoming school environments, and equitable literacy instruction. They also want a district leader who has experience in a comparable district. And importantly, they want somebody who is familiar with the Boston public schools and the Boston community, and somebody who is multilingual with a preference for fluency in one or more of the nine major languages of the district. It's a lot of things, Jill, that were written in there. And then the rest of it, honestly, was pretty similar to the last superintendent job description. This thing has not changed. Well, some of it was new because COVID hadn't happened yet, right? Right. So there's some variation of like, let's, equitable literacy is is relatively new, you know, compare an educator, you know, so they're saying it's an educator, but they're also saying it should be a leader of another district, but they, that doesn't have to be a, a former superintendent, but it could be a former superintendent. It wasn't clear though. Do you want an operator who's going to make things happen? Do you want a leader who is going to be a great manager of the community? Do you want someone who is good at hiring so that they have a team underneath him or her to execute well? Like what, what exactly are we looking for? This is we're like, this is everything. We've heard in different contexts that the committee does not want somebody who is going to do another 100-day listening tour, that they want somebody with familiarity of Boston and just hit the ground running. My question is, hit the ground running doing what? Is it just solving the problems that were two and a half hours of public comment? 
Or is there other priorities the search committee is looking for that they want somebody to hit the ground running on these priorities? Right. So school committee members raised questions that touched on some of these points. School committee member, Mr. Cardet Hernandez, raised this point about the job description and how complicated it seemed. I am naming this because it's like the elephant possibly in the room, but this is like an incredibly big job with a pretty complex set of skills that a person would require in order to meet all of this. A unicorn, one could say. (laughs) So I'm just sort of saying it because it's worth naming. Uh, On first blush, it reads as two jobs, uh, two different people possibly. This is less of a question and just more of of a comment that we want to bring someone in who we also want to see win. um, And we have to create the conditions for that to happen, but also a description of a job that would allow them to also achieve success as well. So Jill, the conversation we heard last night did not include any discussion about the school committee goals and priorities that was raised a few weeks ago at their retreat. They said at the retreat, we got to be clear about what our goals and priorities are. There was disagreement from the school committee members about what those goals and priorities should be. They never revisited that conversation. And now we have this job description that is just a yes and job description. It's literally taking every attribute and throwing it in a, in a document and, and just saying, here you go. That, that's what right. it is. And literally, Jill, if we're hiring for everything, we're hiring for nothing. School committee member Lorena LaPera then provided an update on the search firm that was chosen by the search committee. Ross, can you talk a little bit about the search firm and why they were chosen? Sure, Jill. So there was a number of firms that put in for the RFP, and we can post a grid to our blog so you can see sort of all the search firms. And they were all ranked on different attributes, and the majority of them were rated, uh, you know, sort of advantaged or highly advantaged in this ranking. And they were all kind of around the same cost. Now, remember, Jill, we are trying to hire somebody with familiarity of Boston, who's maybe been an educator in Boston before, has strong knowledge of the Boston community. So lo and behold, the committee came forward and said, we want to hire a firm from Austin, Texas, Austin, Texas. And this firm is called One Fourth Consulting, LLC, JG Consulting. This is a small firm. There's a, a few people that work in it. They've done some searches for the Austin school superintendent and some other searches. Um, I think they did one in Vermont or they're currently doing one in Vermont for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think they've worked a little bit in BPS that was alluded to last night. They may have done a couple of job searches for central office employees in BPS. So we'll see. Uh, they're in Austin. We're trying to find somebody from Boston. We'll see if it works out. But it seems odd that we would hire a firm from so far away if the person we're looking for is somewhere around here. I would say, Jill, that this firm is a superintendent search firm. We've seen a lot of them. There's a lot of them out there. There's also a lot of other different types of firms. We talked about this in a previous podcast. If we're looking for somebody non-traditional, you would see maybe a non-traditional search firm. This is a very traditional school superintendent, school leader, search firm, we should expect the same results that we've had before whenever we've used a very similar firm. All right. So potentially they'll cast a wide net across the country and that doesn't really end us up with someone from Boston. Maybe from Austin. Maybe Austin versus Boston. The committee then heard a report on the updated facilities repair plan specifically for the Blackstone School and the Otis Elementary School. That's right, Jill. This is an updated and revised uh, facilities repair plan to use funding from the Massachusetts School Building Authority. 
So this is this is a big deal, Jill. This is sort of like, hey, which new buildings do we want to build in Boston to have MSBA funding used for, right? Um, now, let me just revisit some of the projects that have been done using this MSBA funding. Orchard Gardens, that, that was probably over a decade ago. And then we had the Dearborn School was built using MSBA funding. And then currently the Boston Arts Academy, the Upper Quincy School, and the Carter School are all being constructed. So we've had two, you know, Orchard Gardens and Dearborn complete. The Boston Arts Academy is almost complete. And then I, I think both the uh, Carter and Upper Quincy are both in the conceptual planning phases and have yet to start construction. We also know that the Horace Mann School was slated for a new building through MSBA funding, although we heard in public comment that there's no further details about where that will be cited. And then last night, we heard that they're going to build two new buildings. This will be accomplished maybe in eight to 10 years. The Otis School at the Parish Street site in East Boston. This is a vacant lot down the street from the current Otis School. And then the Blackstone School in the South End. And basically, the school system is saying, we want to move forward with creating new buildings at these two sites. Jill, there was no data presented last night on enrollment, projections like where will the need be for new schools, which schools are the most in need with their facilities problems. We've heard a lot about the McKinley School, McKinley schools being in facilities that are really subpar. Also, Madison Park High School, we've heard from Kennedy's Health Career Academy, Boston Day and Evening Academy, all about their needs. And rightfully so. We have also heard about the Blackstone being concerned about their facilities. So, Jill, the point with this is like, I'm not sure if we could have like closed our eyes and thrown a dart and chosen the schools or if there was more data used to make these decisions. Um, but clearly, new buildings are needed in BPS. I'm really happy for the Otis community and the Blackstone community. They need it. But there's also so many more in need. And the question is, why aren't they getting new buildings or why weren't they prioritized? Yes, Ross, I totally agree with you. So school committee members touched on some of these issues and more specifically brought up the continued topic of the declining enrollment facing the district. Here's Ms. LaPera asking about the issue of enrollment decline and how it's influencing building projects like the ones presented last night. I've been thinking about enrollment um, and that we know that we've been seeing some trends for, for various years on enrollment decline. Um, and I'm thinking about these projects. When we're thinking about putting forth these projects, we're saying that there's overcrowding for sixth grade, but that's currently, right? And we, we're we not building for currently, we're building for eight, 10 years from now. And so do we have information on um, enrollment projection as it relates to these school communities for when we're thinking about like making this proposal for these particular school communities? So, so Jill, there's an enrollment decline that, that has been stated. This is going to be an enrollment decline for the next 10 years. And there's no clear data presented last night addressing this or any relevant issues that are related to building projects and build BPS. How can we decide on these two schools when the data is not guiding the decision making? This is adding to just further distrust of the district and lack of transparency. Well, and there's a lack of prioritization as well, right? To your earlier point about how did they decide these two schools when there are so many schools that need to be cared for and so many communities testifying around the need. Of course, you can't do everything first, but it might be helpful to the community to understand how the prioritization is working and how they're making decisions on these new projects. 
Absolutely. I, I just want to be clear, like the, the Otis School and the Blackstone absolutely deserve new buildings yeah. and, and rightfully so. And so does so many other schools. It's more just about a call for transparency. The last report of the night was an update on transportation and a contract renewal with TransDev, the district's transportation partner that has worked with BPS for almost uh, 10 years. This contract renewal comes as the district works to negotiate a contract with the city's bus drivers, as well as Mayor Wu's announcement of wanting to electrify the city's bus fleet. So Jill, we've seen this every year at the same exact time. We have these massive problems with transportation in the beginning of the year where everyone says, geez, this has to stop. we got to do something different. The superintendent announced this year that there would be a commission that was never put together to solve the transportation issues. Nothing happened. And every year at this time, we come up with, let's let's just renew this contract again with TransDev because it's not their fault. And this is the fifth one-year extension that we've done with TransDev. And this is the 10th year that we've been on this contract. It just feels like maybe the the issue hasn't been identified. We might be trying to solve for the wrong thing if this just keeps happening over and over again. What I'm really concerned about is last night, we didn't hear any imperative that we can't start next year the same way we started this year and being held hostage that says we are not, we will not pick up students and school may not start on time this year because the bus, the buses may not run. And we do not have a contract with the school bus drivers. We have the same contract provider with TransDev. Someone tell me what is going to be different in September than what was different this year or last year or the previous year. We have so many families who say, my child is not picked up for school, particularly families of students with disabilities. Or my child was dropped off at the wrong school or the wrong location. We have the most expensive transportation system in our country. The most expensive in our country, hundred over $130 million spent on buses. And last night's conversation was, it's like we forgot. Like, oh, I guess it will be better this coming year. We heard from BPS. They said it's going to be better. It must just going to be better. It, I guarantee you, it will not be better in September. This is like Groundhog Day. I can't believe the same exact, we should just play last year and the previous year, the same exact conversation. We just forget all the problems. But right. Jill, in the news yesterday and today, was that Mayor Wu just announced that she's going to electrify the school bus fleet. $7 million for 20 buses. It's going to be a few hundred million dollars overall investment that will electrify the full bus fleet by 2030. That doesn't solve the problem. Electrifying the bus. I'm pretty sure diesel fuel is not the problem that is causing children not to be picked up. I've never heard them say we've run out of fuel, ever. I applaud the fact that we are saving the environment and electrifying buses. It's the wrong issue. We have too many buses that do not show up for our children. Electrifying the buses that don't show up for our kids doesn't help our kids get to school. Let's focus on the issue at hand. We need to fix the bus driver contract. Bus drivers must show up. We need a contractor that will hold the bus drivers accountable for showing up. And we need much smarter routes so that we don't have buses driving inefficiently, half empty around our city every day. Electrifying the buses is not the issue. And that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Here are some of the questions that we think are worth asking. What is the long-term plan for BPS school buildings? School committee members continue to ask this question. The superintendent last year mentioned an RFP to create a campus master plan. We have still not seen that RFP. Will there be a master campus planning process? 
what are the core values and goals guiding the future of our district? And how will those values be reflected in the superintendent search? What are the key characteristics and priorities for the new superintendent? And how will the job description ensure that those key characteristics and priorities are met? When will the district address chronic transportation issues? And when will a task force be implemented to look into these issues? Parents and community stakeholders continue to address their concerns with transportation in Boston. Will the issues of the Sumner, Mission Hill, Horace Mann School, Boston Day and Evening Academy, the Hale School, the McKinley Schools, the Shaw Schools, and more be resolved before they become issues for the next superintendent? What are the priorities for Boston Public Schools on the new Boston Teachers Union contract? Will this contract be resolved before the end of the school year? What will the impact of the delay assignment process be on enrollment for the upcoming school year? And of course, there are ways to engage and get involved. Testify at a city council budget hearing in the coming weeks to share your thoughts on the district's budget. Fill out the BPS superintendent search survey to share your thoughts on the qualities, vision, and experience that you would like to see in the new superintendent. And of course, sign up on our email list at shawfoundation.org to provide feedback on this podcast, receive updates on our work, and be notified when new podcast episodes are available. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.